I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back. I'm Mara Caravello filling in today for Boyd Matheson. So next, let's talk about a new report out. Um, according to the recent Wallet Hub report, Utah ranked as the worst state for women's equality issues. This is the fourth time in a row. So of the 104 legislative seats that we have available, 25 of them are filled by women, which is one of the lowest um, ratings in the nation. Today we have with us Patricia Jones, who is a former state senator herself, served for many years, so she knows what it's like to be an elected official. And currently she is the CEO of the Women's Leadership Institute. And she's going to join us to discuss how we can increase representation. So thank you so much for being here today, Pat. Um, I'm going to start Thank with you, Mara. yeah. I'm going to start with a broad question. We have amazing women in Utah, and we make up slightly <laughs> more than half of the population. So, why are we struggling to get women elected in Utah? Well, I think that women attract other women, uh, whether it's in a business or in politics. And many women just plain don't see themselves as running for office, and they see it as kind of a, a, a food fight. Uh, something that might be more negative than than it actually really is. That makes sense. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the characteristics and maybe a case for support about what women bring to the table. You, as I said earlier, you've been both an elected official and a mentor, and you've been running this organization that has has trained and and helped many women decide if they want to run for public office. So, what do you see that differentiates or distinguishes uh, women when they are in elected offices? Well, what distinguishes uh, women in the office is I think women bring a, a unique set of perspectives and experiences to the table, just as we do in, in a business or, you know, in a home. Uh, we have complementary differences. And I certainly saw that, especially in the Senate, uh, where I was oftentimes the only woman on a committee where my experiences were quite different than the men on the committee of uh, but uh, I think we need those complementary differences to really magnify the public policies that are so important to families and, and to women and men um, in our state. Uh, women also worry about raising money to run a campaign. Uh, they often need a nudge to run for office, a tap on the shoulder, someone just saying they've noticed that they have those leadership skills. I think navigating the system is difficult for some, at least they think it is. There's kind of a juggernaut in the convention system, maybe gathering signatures in some cases. But I I think one of the biggest things that I like to portray when I'm speaking to women and teaching our political development series is the benefits of running and serving in political office. You know, when you look at the skills that companies are looking for, families are looking for, 
uh, including the ability to speak in public, so oral communication and written communication, critical thinking skills and problem-solving skills, persuasion, understanding where different people from different perspectives are coming from, uh, and then really doing something that matters in service of others. All of these are honed by running for and serving in political office. I like I like that notion. I'm going to sort of stay on that persuading people. So um, what do you, what have you said in the past to women who maybe have the desire and have even mentioned it to friends and family that they would like to lead more, but they can't get over this feeling of inadequacy or maybe lacking confidence? What would you say to them to give them the nudge to step into the arena? Well, that's such a good question because that is one we get often. Uh, I mean, I was asked to run, uh, encouraged to run, and I never thought of myself as uh, running for office, never thought I would, I couldn't see myself running for office, but I, it was the best leadership development that a person can ever have, especially women. But what I would say to women who are just, a, you know, a little hesitant, I'm not seeing that as much, by the way. Our, our classes are filling up. I see this huge uh, interest among women who really want to make a difference and uh, are, are wanting their their votes to count, their um, experiences to count. And I think they see so many different issues and problems in on the ground level, you know, working with their families, uh, working with their children or their elderly parents, where uh, they would like to bring those ideas to the table to come up with solutions to solve them. So yeah. I would just say, go ahead. No, no, I just wanted to add, like, one, you and I have talked about this in the past. One thing I, I think that women overlook is in some ways they're prepared or they're ready to be bigger decision makers. If you see the decisions that, that women make um, within their family structure about balancing one need over another or balancing a budget or making prioritized choices on behalf of a unit, a family unit, and then you look at women who um, are not balancing family, but they're trying to balance safety and, and, and issues of career and what will they do next? I mean, the complexity that women bring or the sophistication that women bring um, to their daily lives, I think, really seamlessly translates into public service. And yet so many women don't think of themselves uh, as leaders in that way because they maybe didn't have um, formal titles or a formal past. But it feels to me like uh, often they bring more skills from day one. Do you see that as well? I absolutely see that. In fact, there are many data points and research projects that have shown that. One is from the Zanger Folkman uh, group in, in Orem, and they're well-known uh, internationally for their leadership mm-hmm. consulting. And they have done some, some very in-depth studies that show that women outperform men on their leadership skills most of the time on most of these skills. And so we have an innate ability to bring those skills to the table uh, and and we really need them. It's not to shame or blame men. It's really important that men understand they're part of the solution to this. But it's also important for men to bring women in and make them feel like they're valued when they are part of the process and so, to welcome them and to encourage them and to mentor them and to sponsor them. So the, one of the things I love about this program is it helps us go deeper in introspection. So I'm going to ask you to help us um, 
you know, psychologically help us. Why? I, I understand when I hear this, this is the fourth time in a row we've been ranked in the bottom. And yet I feel like we have a resistance to uh, accepting that we are not doing right by women. So what can we do to shed the guilt or whatever we're feeling and just um, move forward and help women get elected more? Well, I, I think, you know, I mentioned the benefits of women running for office. I think everyone needs to understand the benefits of having more women serving in office and not just not just winning office, but actually running. You have to increase the pool in order for it to happen. Um, you know, I think just when a person runs for office, a woman or a man, but I think particularly for women, that once they put their their signature on the ballot, that they're looked upon as a leader, whether they win or not win. Um, there have been many women who have run and maybe just barely lost and have run ag- again and been successful in their races. It's- and uh, I just think don't give up, but understand why you're doing this. I remember there was a person who had served in the house who said, you know, women will stand in front of a freight train for our kids. And yet when we have opportunities to run for political office, especially in a, like a state legislative office, where public policies are made that affect our families, that we're not willing to do that. Right. Uh, and so it's just as important to do that. I'm just going to underline that last point in which you and I have both worked for decades in Utah politics and just winning or losing, putting your name on the ballot makes you a leader. And so for those who are listening, who are interested, um, Women's Leadership Institute, Pat Jones is a great place to start. Your parties, your political parties, reaching out to them is a great place to start or just going to the lieutenant governor's website and seeing and looking at the papers. Usually it's just, you know, $30, $40 to file. And I say, do it because um, the experience you will have, and I've heard Patricia say this over and over, the experience you'll have is rewarding and you'll transcend yourself to a leader at that moment of signing up. So thank you again for this conversation. Yes. Thank you, Mara. May I just mention our website, WLIUT.com. We are starting our seventh political development series on September 16th. And it's an absolutely great place to start for you to learn, for the women to learn how and why to run for political office. Great. WLIUT.com. Terrific. Thank you very much. Thank you. Coming up, people with autism often struggle to find a place to work in the tech sector. We're having a great discussion with Louise Stone next, who joins us to talk about her new consulting firm that is now moving to Salt Lake City to try and help. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.